0: The other morning, Miriam, my one-year-old daughter, woke me up bright and early, as she has a tendency to do, I believe it was about 6 a.m., and so we went downstairs, and I sat her in her high chair, and we got her breakfast. She loves to have, as she says, cereal and milk, and so we had some cereal and milk together, and when she finished eating her breakfast, I wanted to get started on doing some dishes that we had left from the night before. Don't judge me. (laughs) And I knew I needed to kind of keep her distracted. And the high chair is really nice because it's a confined space. So I cleared off the cereal and milk. And then I saw on the table near her high chair a a collection of spare change. Quarters, nickels, dimes. And I know Miriam is old enough now that she doesn't just put everything in her mouth. So I said, okay, picked up the spare change and put it on her uh, breakfast, what do we call that, high chair. Okay? And she started to play with it. It was perfect. It was the best distraction I could have come up with. She's rolling the quarters around, picking up handfuls of them, putting them down, and I'm able to do the dishes from the night before. This was all a wonderful, beautiful moment until Miriam's older brother, Solomon, came downstairs. Solomon is five years old, and this was his money that I had grabbed. He had left it there on the shelf overnight, but when he came downstairs and saw that his baby sister was playing with his money, he became pretty upset. And so I did what any brilliant father would do. I tried to reason with a five-year-old. Who hadn't had breakfast yet and had just woken up. You can guess how well this went. I tried to say to him, Solomon, it doesn't matter. She's just playing with the money. She's not going to spend it anywhere. She's not going to steal any of it. You'll get it back in just a moment. But Solomon was having none of it. I have never seen him more possessive of any sort of toy before. But that should just go to show you the ways that our society teaches us to care about money. Money. Solomon at five years old has already figured out that there is nothing more important, nothing that he should defend more and that he should have a right to than his money. Not even gonna share it with his baby sister for a couple of minutes at breakfast time. I wanna talk with you this morning about this mindset. This mindset that we often have that's attached to money, but that, as you're going to see, actually expands a little bit beyond that as well. We have a tendency to cling tightly to our money because it's ours, because we can quantify it, because we can count it, because it can show us clearly where we stand versus someone else. And so I want to talk with you about these tendencies this morning. We are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19, and I've titled this sermon, Real Treasure, Real Treasure. Please join me in a word of prayer. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. If you would like, you can rise at this time as we read our gospel text. It's going to be Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 21, and then we're going to skip ahead to verse 24. So this is Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21 and 24. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now jumping ahead to 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Church, this is the good news. It's the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So now you know where this is all going. (laughs) And I know you might not be too happy and too comfortable with it. You probably don't like it when I find these Bible passages. But it just seems that Jesus can't help himself from talking about money again and again and again in the scriptures. But the thing is, money in this circumstance, what Jesus is talking about here this morning is actually not the main focus. But believe it or not, Jesus is trying to talk about a much bigger, much more systemic problem that was facing people in those days, and that still faces us today. The way to think about it is that, oh, the way that we deal with money is simply a symptom of a larger problem. This is part of what Jesus is talking about, and this is still our problem today, too. The way that we relate to money, like little Solomon, is a symptom of a larger mindset problem. Think about it, about this. Think about it like this. When you, let's say, let's say you might get into an argument with your spouse or your significant other about doing the laundry, right? Something really not that important that you really shouldn't be fighting about, but yet it happens all the time, doesn't You end up fighting about the laundry. You didn't fold it right. It's your turn to do the laundry. But we know, right, that while that main argument right then is about the laundry, that's just the symptom that you're talking about, right? You're actually, without even realizing, having a conversation about much bigger issues there, aren't you? Maybe the fight at that moment is about the laundry, but really the undercurrent to it all is bigger issues, right, of hey, I feel like you don't appreciate all the work I do within the household. Or, hey, I don't think you're pulling your weight within our household arrangements here. Or, hey, I think you spend too much time at work and not enough time at home. You can quickly see how the symptom is a fight about the laundry. But the problem is actually something much bigger than that, isn't it? And this is the case with what Jesus is talking about in our gospel passage this morning. Jesus is talking about something called mammon illness. Let me hear you say that, mammon illness. illness. Yes, M-A-M-M-O-N, mammon illness. You might notice in verse 24, that last verse that we read, Jesus says, you cannot serve God and wealth. And some Bibles might even have a little note here about the word wealth. Because while we translate it in English as wealth, the actual word Jesus used is mammon. Let me hear you say mammon again. Mammon. Mammon Mammon was actually a Syrian deity. The people of Syria at that time believed in this god, Mammon, who was more of a trickster than anything else. Mammon was this force that tried to make you greedy. This force that tried to make you focus on short-term items and elements. Mammon was someone who pressured people into focusing on success and superficiality and constantly counting and measuring. And Jesus is saying very clearly that God is completely counter to mammon. You see, mammon illness, as I talked to you about, is this idea that you're only as good as your value, that you somehow need to measure and count and quantify where you stand within the structure. We see this, of course, with with money a lot, don't we? We talk about someone's net worth. Oh, they're worth this much money. Oh, they make that much a year. And that is often how we set up a hierarchy in our society. We don't care as much about what you contribute to society. We care about your net worth. And that is how we measure the value of people in 2019. Church, that is an example of mammon illness. Trying to quantify and evaluate individuals based on something that's very temporary. As Jesus says in the Gospel passage, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in You see, if we focus only on money, that is simply a fleeting metric that will one day be irrelevant for each and every one of us. But you see, mammon illness, it actually goes a little deeper than that as well. Mammon illness, putting it broadly, is simply focusing on short-term practical gains. Sure, money is one form of this, as I'm mentioning. Money is fleeting, where thieves can steal and you can't take it with you. We know all the cliches that go along with it. But there's other ways that our mammon illness plays out. Think about style. Oh, you all look so good this morning. You all look so nice and dressed up for church. But if we took a picture of this and then showed it to you in 30 years, you'd be saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe I wore that. We can get out the old directories if you want to play that game after church, right? (laughs) You, You know what I'm talking about. Style itself is fleeting, and yet it's a game we continue to play, trying to look good each and every day, even though that is often a fleeting success that we might show. I'll tell you a story, too, just about this mammon illness, if you will. When I was in elementary school, and I think it's still true today, the true measure of who was at the top of the class, was who is the fastest. Right? Who can run from here to there faster than everyone else? This was a constant game that I played in the, in the schoolyard each and every day. And, and at my school, when second grade rolled around, we had something called field day. Which was great, because now we had an actual event, an actual day when we could figure out who is the fastest. And church, I want to tell you, when I was in second grade... When I was, when your pastor was in second grade, the 200 meter race was won by a guy named John Corcoran. Not that I'm bitter. I came in second. And so I spent all year worrying about that race because I knew field day was coming again in third grade. And sure enough, field day came again in third grade and we had the 200 meter race again. And John Corcoran beat me again. Second place two years in a row. Oh, but then I got the good news that I was hoping for. John Corcoran was moving. He was leaving town. So fourth grade rolls around, and it's time for the 200-meter race on field day. And there was, of course, a new kid who had come to school. We got rid of John, but Paul Finero showed up, and he was way faster than John Corcoran, which meant he was way faster than me, too. And so by fifth grade, I gave up on the 200 meters, and I just ran the distance races. Give me those instead. But I'm telling you all of this because it illustrates the short-term focus that we often have on things. In second grade and third grade, it was all about who was the fastest. But by eighth grade, no one cared about that anymore. And by tenth grade, I couldn't even keep up with all the metrics that I was supposed to pay attention to in high school. We do this all the time, where we create these scenarios in our heads about how to evaluate ourselves against other people. And all of it, all of it, all of it is a short-term focus. It'll only last maybe for a couple of months, maybe for a couple of years. But whatever metric you're trying to measure yourself up against someone else, here's the truth, church. That metric won't last forever. And here's the real truth. Your act of trying to measure is an example of mammon illness. This is not the way the world works, Jesus says. This is not the way I want you to be living. Because I think if you're really honest with yourself, all that evaluating and measuring, whatever metric you might choose to use, it's exhausting, isn't it? To have to worry about what to wear and if it's going to look good. Have to worry about if you've got enough money to be within this social circle. To have to worry if you've accomplished enough to have a seat at the table. We play these games with ourselves And it eats away at us. And it destroys relationships as well. Because maybe you're thinking that you're not good enough to be at the table. But maybe you're also thinking that they're not good enough to be with you at the table. All of it is an example of mammon illness. And Jesus says very clearly that you cannot serve God and mammon. See, church, this act of quantifying and evaluating, it can take many forms. And yes, money is probably one of the most obvious examples, but I also want to submit to you this morning that this mammon illness also plays out within your own head. Because maybe you're the type of person who spent your whole life telling yourself that you're not good enough, that you haven't accomplished enough That you need to reach some sort of standard in order to be loved, in order to be accepted, in order to have a seat at the table. That can be a very difficult place to find yourself in. And the good news of the gospel is that that's not how God works. You do not have to measure up to some sort of level. You don't have to have a list of accomplishments and awards on your resume in order to be right in God's eyes. Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon because Jesus realizes that you cannot fully believe in the promises of the gospel while at the same time telling yourself that you're only as good as your next accomplishment. The gospel says that we're loved and accepted by God regardless of anything that we do. And so that means, church, that we can't go on believing that the people who give the most money to the church, are better than anybody else. We can't go on believing that the people who confess the fewest number of sins at the beginning of church are better than anybody else. We can't go on believing that the people with the longest resumes are better than anybody else. All of that is just an example of mammon illness, and it doesn't fit with the gospel. The gospel is the complete antithesis to our mammon illness. We have to remember that we are loved and accepted by God. Full stop. Don't let anyone else tell you that you don't get a seat at the table, that you don't belong within the church because of some sort of other metric that, frankly, we've made up. But let me close by saying this. You still should give money to the church. But hear me clearly, I'm not saying that because of some sort of short-sighted budget concern. If all I did was get up here to say, hey, we got to keep the lights on, that's just another form of mammon illness taking hold. But you should give money to the church because by giving, you are letting go of this control over your life. By giving, you are starting to heal some of that mammon illness that infects us all. And you should give money to the church, too, because this is the only place in all of society that's going to tell you something other than you being measured by your worth. The gospel is the only message in all of society that focuses on God's long-term plan rather than some sort of short-term metric that we've cooked up this week. The gospel is the only message that will tell people that you have worth and value and acceptance and a place at the table simply because God says so. That's a message that's worth supporting, church, with our time, with our talent, with our treasure. Give to the church because it's the only place where people are going to hear that they are loved and accepted simply because of how good God is. Give to the church because it's the only place trying to short-circuit the mammon illness that infects us all. And the truth is, church, that's a real treasure worth fighting for, worth protecting, worth enabling and progressing again and again each day. This message of the gospel, of God's unending love and grace. Amen.